From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. Federal politics has been dominated for the best part of a fortnight by the amazing story of former Prime Minister Scott Morrison's secret ministries. The revelations about Morrison's strange behaviour have both rocked and dismayed the opposition, which was already struggling to regroup after the election. David Littleproud, leader of the Nationals, was one of the first opposition members to criticise Morrison's conduct, describing it as, quote, pretty ordinary. Littleproud is very much his own man, and next week he will attend the government's Jobs and Skills Summit, unlike opposition leader Peter Dutton. Today, David Littleproud joins us to talk about the Morrison Affair, the Jobs Summit, and the Nationals, including their push for nuclear power. David Littleproud, the government has now announced an inquiry into Scott Morrison having himself appointed to multiple portfolios. What do you think of this move and will the opposition cooperate with it? Specifically, would you be willing to give evidence as a former senior minister? Well, obviously, I'm happy to to work within whatever the constraints of what the government decides. That that's the, their prerogative. But it just seems to me this has now become an obsession of Anthony Albanese. We've got a Solicitor General's report that clearly outlines that there was no laws broken, but there is a pragmatic way in which we should work collectively together to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Mr. Morrison has admitted his wrongdoing. He's apologised for that. But another inquiry, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what we're trying to achieve here other than political point scoring. I think it's important now that this government focus on what's important to Australians. And that's about cost of living. That's about making sure that they're focused on the challenges of the economy is going to face uh, up to and that they are equipped to do it. Instead of focusing on petty politics, I thought Anthony Albanese wanted to bring a new political construct to this country. Uh, We'll be constructive and and participate uh, in an open and transparent way, but the necessity for this is one that I think the Australian people is now questioning Mr Anthony Albanese as I've stepped the mark. He's become obsessed in just destroying Mr Morrison rather than uh, building building up the Australian people and the Australian economy. Uh, that's not what a Prime Minister should do. Well, on the question of focus, how difficult is it for the opposition to move on after your former Prime Minister has been accused of undermining the principle of responsible government? Well, that's a matter for Mr Morrison, but I think what the Australian people and what we will continue to do is prosecute the legacy that we left this country in a better place than what we found it. That's despite uh, a pandemic uh, that the world had not seen uh, for generations. Uh, And the fact is that the outcomes of our government are ones that we're proud of. The actions of Mr Morrison that pertain to this particular matter are ones for Mr Morrison to answer, not the broader government. Uh, And I think Mr Morrison uh, will at some point obviously leave Parliament and and be part of history uh, and will be looking but to the future. And that's what my job is, is to focus on the future, to focus on the Australian people, not on petty politics. Uh, and if the if the government wants to continue to focus on petty politics rather than the Australian people, well, then they'll have to answer to them in two and a half years' time. Should he leave Parliament sooner rather than later? And uh, should he apologise to the Australian people for all this? Well, 
he can leave under his own volition whenever he wants to after he's consulted with the people of Cook. Uh, he's no longer the Prime Minister by popular demand. He's no longer on the front bench. Uh, he is the member for Cook. He's made a commitment to the people of Cook and he needs to have a conversation with them about his future and what that looks like. Uh, and that should be one that should be undertaken without uh, political gratuitous advice from the sidelines. And I don't intend to, to buy into that. I think that's a matter for Mr Morrison. Uh, and obviously uh, we'll work with whatever decision he makes, but it's a matter for him to decide. Uh, he, he has been found to have done no wrongdoing. He hasn't broken any laws. Uh, the people that he did impact, uh, those those ministers, he's made an apology to. Uh, I think this fixation to continue on, this obsession to continue on with uh, pursuing this loses sight of what government should be focused on, which is the Australian people. But what about that apology to the Australian people? Is, is that uh, deserved by the people? Well, I'm just trying to understand what for. He hasn't broken any laws. Uh, he didn't actually use any of those powers. Uh, I asked for an explanation. Uh, and obviously, I was concerned and I got that explanation. I'm prepared to move on because I think there's far more important issues now. I'm prepared to move on to make sure that we work collaboratively to uh, protect our, our democratic institutions in the future with the government. But the focus now should be the Australian people, not not Scott Morrison. And this this obsession that Anthony Albanese is going on is dangerous. It's dangerous for the Australian people. It's dangerous for our democracy. And we should just get on with the job of looking after the Australian people. We do know that the one substantive decision that former Prime Minister made with those powers that he had was one, of course, that affected uh, a Nationals Minister, Keith Pitt. Scott Morrison overrode Mr Pitt in terms of a, a gas exploration matter. Do the Nationals feel, do you feel, that that decision that the former Prime Minister made, the substance of the decision to override that exploration off the coast of New South Wales, was the wrong decision? Well, um, you've got to appreciate that it really had nothing to do with the broader National Party party room. Uh, and it wasn't any of uh, the details that concerned us because it didn't affect any of our members. Uh, it was a matter between the Prime Minister, the Resource Minister and, and the Deputy Prime Ministers, uh, both McCormack and, and Joyce. Uh, they worked through those issues in, in making sure uh, that there was a, a, hopefully a resolution that could be resolved amicably. Uh, now, I'm not into the understand the details of that. I wasn't privy to that, but I'm quite comfortable that um, because no national party uh, seats were were impacted and that we that would ask for the national party uh, to have a stronger voice because our people were, that we represent were being impacted i'm comfortable with the actions and, and i think i understood uh, that barnaby joyce in particular i remember was was trying to advocate a resolution i wasn't privy to the details but i do know that he he did make it pub, make it known to, to some of us that there were issues he was trying to work through but the details were ones that he, the Prime Minister and the Resource Minister worked through. Uh, I'm comfortable with that. It didn't more broadly impact the National Party. Uh, so I'm, I'm comfortable with whatever was able to be arranged between those three gentlemen. Now let's turn to next week's job summit. You've decided to attend. Peter Dutton has decided not to attend. Was this a, a good cop, bad cop decision or were these independent decisions by the two of you? We represent two different parties. You've got to appreciate this brand coalition doesn't exist. There is the National Party and there's the Liberal Party. 
I represent the National Party. We weren't invited. We represent only regional and rural Australia. And the fact that this government didn't even bother to ask anyone from regional and rural Australia to represent their interests was a failing to start with. When Peter Dutton- So you're gate crashing? No, well, I'll, I'll answer. Well, we're two separate parties. Uh, the, I represent the National Party and Peter Dutton represents the Liberal Party. He made a, a decision on behalf of the Liberal Party that he would not attend. Uh, I made a decision once uh, he wasn't attending and, the, and this government then decided, well, as an afterthought, we might think about regional rural Australia. We might think about the, inviting the National Party, who represents regional rural Australia to this summit. Um, he made that offer and I took that opportunity up. I, I believe this is an opportunity to voice the concerns of regional rural Australians who are the forgotten Australians under this government, that they did not even bother to ask anyone from regional Australia. So I took the pragmatic view that I want to be inside the room, uh, articulating and prosecuting the unique nature of regional rural Australia and the, and the solutions that this government could undertake to help support regional rural Australia. So I, I stand by that decision and we're two individual parties and you've got to appreciate that this brand coalition doesn't exist. There are two individual parties that come together in coalition uh, to, to ensure that we uh, can prosecute a case for the conservative side of politics and that's what the National Party will do representing regional Australia. We, are, we have purity of purpose. We do not have to compromise on our values or principles because we've got city members that we have to accommodate. We simply look after regional Australia and I took the pragmatic view that I'm going to attend I'm going to prosecute and use that platform to prosecute the opportunities that should be put before regional and rural Australians at that summit. So you'll have speaking spots and what will be your message? Well, we've got uh, simple solutions to this. The, the government's already saying they want to can the, the ag visa. Uh, look, we'll be prosecuting the case to continue on with the ag visa to, to finalise it. Uh, the Rural arithmetic of this is quite simple. NFF and the food processing sector believe that there's 172,000 jobs required to get food from the paddock to your plate. And all this government is prepared to provide at the moment after scrapping the ag visa is the Pacific scheme. And at best, on a good day, it could give around 50,000 workers. So there is a significant shortage the Pacific scheme cannot provide that this government has to acknowledge and tell us where they are going to get that shortfall from. We also believe that there's an opportunity to allow pensioners and veterans to be able to work double what they're allowed to now without impacting their payments. Uh, and we think there's also an opportunity to look to training in making in, in paying the tax debts of what we did with doctors and practitioner nurses and extending that to other professions that are required in regional rural areas and also boosting the number of regional university centres. But the important piece on the visas that we want to make that's different to those that they provide in other sectors is a pathway to, to permanent residency for the ag visa and a regional skills visa. That's the important piece uh, that we believe will incentivise people to come to this country and be part of this country rather than transient through from a regional area into the cities. If they do five or six years in the regions, they invariably have connections in the bush and will stay in the bush. So those are the practical solutions we'll be taking to the summit uh, and the government will have to answer the question how are they going to fill the shortfall if they don't want to provide the ag visa that we've asked for and if they don't provide a regional visa with the ag visa that provides permanent residency how are we going to fill any positions in regional Australia. So do you see the summit as an opportunity to fight your case as it were as part of the opposition or do you see it from your point of view as perhaps a way to get a compromise, at least on some of the issues you're prosecuting? 
we'll, we'll take anything we can get for regional Australia. The fact that we weren't provided a voice to start with is is a is abhorrent. I mean, to think that one third of the population has been excluded from a job summit, to think that this problem is isolated to capital cities and that regional Australia shouldn't have a unique um, solution to this uh, is astounding that a government that said they'd govern for all, all Australians. So we're going to go we're, and we're going to prosecute for all those. We don't think we're asking for a lot. Uh, and I think the science says that they've got to tell us that they're not going to give those solutions to us, then how do they fill that void? It's a pure game of arithmetic that this government has to answer. Uh, and if they can't, then they've failed us all because your food prices are going to go up. Every time you go to that checkout and you see the cost of, cost of living at the moment, your groceries, you should see Anthony Albanese's face on that docket because he is, is constraining Australian agriculture. Farmers are walking away from their properties now because they don't have the investment confidence to plant a crop. I, I only heard that this week in Carnarvon where a farmer gave up his property, a property that he was born on, because he simply saw no future because there was no labour for him to be able to produce food for this country. So this comes down to just pure fact, and I'm going to be inside prosecuting that case. I don't think regional Australia gets a platform or a voice often enough, and no matter how much I have to hold my nose, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for regional rural Australia because that's all the National Party represents. Can I just take up one point there? You said one third of Australia was being excluded, but surely the groups and representatives who are there are in some part from regional Australia or some of them are from regional Australia. Well, I don't think the, the list is all that exhaustive at the moment. One third are unions, with all due respect. I don't see too many of them living in regional areas. They all seem to be tucked up in capital cities. Uh, much of the big... Well, the AWU, for example, represents some regional workers. Uh, yeah, from Melbourne. Bully for them. Um, I don't think the AWU... I haven't seen the AWU talking to farmers and understanding the needs and, and the demands of labour on the ground here uh, they've sat from the comfort in Melbourne to make determinations about the fact that an ag visa shouldn't happen and, and have told uh, the, the Labor Party, who they are the political masters of, that they cannot, that they cannot give this to regional Australia. I, I fail to see that that is true regional representation. I live in regional Australia. The members in the National Party live in regional Australia. We're not, not token members that live in capital cities representing groups. That's absurd and it's, it's actually insulting to regional rural Australians that someone tucked away in a capital city should tell us the policy settings we should have. I mean, that's, that's actually arrogant for anyone to, to prosecute that case. So for this government not to allow regional rural Australia to have a real voice, yet they were prepared to, to ask the Teals along, the Greens along, but not the National Party, just shows that they don't have a focus on regional Australia and we will become the forgotten Australians under this government despite the rhetoric. But I intend to make sure that any platform they give me, I use to make sure that regional Australia's voice is heard. That's what the National Party will do and that's what we will do in an unrelenting way no matter who we may upset. Now, you recently told your party that uh, it had to re-engage with cohorts within its communities to rebuild trust, and uh, this was particularly with women. How will you go about doing that? Yeah, so you'll see over the coming months, uh, both myself and Perrin will be engaging with women and, and young people, for that matter. Across That's your deputy, Perrin Davey. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, across regional Australia. Uh, we've got to do that at a grassroots level. We firstly got to get out there. We've got to listen. We've got to understand. We've got to learn, and then we've got to we've got to get to the point of rebuilding that trust and understanding. Not about symbolism. Uh, we don't believe in quotas. In fact, 
um, nearly half my party room, eight of the, eight of the 22 uh, are women, and we'll be trying to pre, uh, pre-select more women into winnable seats the next election, not because we have a quota, but be, because we'll try and get candidates to run uh, for pre-selection, because ultimately we are a democratic party and our membership will make that determination. They'll determine who's the best candidate, but we've got to put the environment around women to do that. But what we'll also be looking at are those issues that regional women are facing that that are far more acute than what they are in metropolitan areas, like like childcare, not not the cost of childcare. They just want some childcare so they can go back to work. Or it's about women who have separated, who are forced to live in homes, uh, live in cars, not in homes. And so we need to get to the real issues uh, that are affecting uh, regional women and, and make sure that we align with the aspirations, the challenges that they have. And you can only do that by listening, understanding and and rebuilding that trust with action. Now, the opposition has uh, recently flagged that it will look at nuclear power as a policy to take to the next election. And you've said that the Nationals have brought the Liberals along with this. Are you confident that, in fact, it will embrace nuclear power when it goes to the election? Well, Yes, the Nationals were on this a long time ago, and the first action I undertook as leader of the Nationals was a right to the Prime Minister and asked for a national energy summit so that we, as a nation, could have a mature conversation about what our energy uh, demands and what those sources would be. And that's why I took a pragmatic view and said that we should do that as political leaders to reaching across the aisle and have that. I'm pleased to say that Peter Dutton has subsequently been able to get the Liberal Party to support that view. And we're not talking about big nuclear power plants across this country. We're talking about the emerging technology of small-scale modular technology for nuclear that's appearing particularly in Northern America. We only have to peek across the Pacific and see what happens there. We don't have to spend a cent. Yet Chris Bowen wants to spend billions on hydrogen And when he says that it's the most expensive nuclear, he's actually wrong. His own CSIRO report that he keeps mooting shows quite clearly in the graph that hydrogen is the most expensive, around up to $350 a megawatt hour. The nuclear starts at around $140 a megawatt hour. And that doesn't, this is the small scale modular. And it doesn't take into account the technology that's now starting to emerge over there that says it could be as low as under $60 a megawatt hour. So why would we go and spend billions of dollars when we don't have to spend a cent? Just see what happens with this new emerging technology and have a look. We're not against any form of of, of energy source, um, but you've got to have more than one energy source. You don't put all your energy eggs in one basket, which is what Chris Bowen's doing, because that that opens up risks. So we're saying renewables will play a part, definitely, but it needs firming. And that firming will either come through gas or coal with carbon capture storage, or it'll come through hydrogen or it'll come through nuclear. And to have a mix in that firming basket is very important. And that's why we as the nationals led the debate and ask for small-scale modular nuclear to be part of that national conversation. And this is one that will take time. It's not going to happen overnight, but we are going to lead that conversation. And I'm glad to say the Liberals have come with us. But if you go to the election with a policy on nuclear, do you think it would be politically saleable? Well, what we're selling is is the facts. And that's about working through the process and saying, let's run the ruler over this. We're not putting all our eggs in the in the nuclear energy basket either. We're simply saying, why wouldn't you run the ruler over another energy source that we may be able to adopt and adapt that costs us nothing to look at and be pragmatic about it? We're simply saying, let's use this thing called common sense. Let's actually have a look at all the solutions that are available to this country. What gives us reliable, affordable power that also reduces our emissions? I'm a big believer in carbon capture storage. I've got 
four coal-fired power stations, one of which wants to start carbon capture storage. The gas wants to use carbon capture storage. Uh, you know, Madeleine King likes carbon capture storage, but Chris Bowen doesn't. He doesn't like gas at all. But you can't, renewables can't do it all. It's a folly that what Chris Bowen is trying to sell the Australian people, that we've got some sort of uh, renewable utopia here that is going to do it all. AEMO even says it cannot do it all. You need firming power. And so that firming solutions, we are saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Let's have a look at the solutions that are there. And if nuclear doesn't stack up, well, fair enough. But the Australian people should be entrusted to make that decision, not politicians that, are, that have ideology that they're just trying to throw down Australians' throats. I trust the Australian people. That's why we started this conversation about small-scale modular nuclear. And that's why we had the courage to continue on with it. And I'm glad the Liberals have got the courage to come with us. But just to be quite clear, nuclear will at least be in your policy going to the election. Well, it'll be in the basket of of solutions that that we can consider. Um, th- this technology is well beyond twenty thirty, of of any great scale. So you know we're simply saying let's use this thing called common sense and look at everything, run the ruler over it, make sure the Australian people are comfortable with it, they're educated on it before you legislate, you they understand. What, what we are asking to adapt and adopt uh, the t- in, t- in the sense of technology that's emerging, can it be done here in Australia and would Australians be comfortable with it? Why wouldn't you trust the Australian people to have a conversation with that? I, I trust the Australian people, but it may not, it may not stack up, but, it, but why not have the conversation? You've got to have politicians that have the courage of their conviction to at least trust the Australian people rather than running scared and selling a utopia that does not exist. And that's that's what we'll be having the conversation with the Australian people about. Now, the the actual final decision on small-scale modular nuclear may be more than uh, this political cycle. It, it, it may take another three or four years plus to try and understand whether that can be adopted and adapted in Australia. But you've got to start that conversation now. Uh, and that's the mature thing to do is to trust the Australian people to have that conversation. And that's what the Nationals said we'll do. And I'm glad the Liberals will come with us. Finally, David Littleproud, a few months ago you were a senior minister with a great deal of governmental responsibility and you were deputy leader of your party. Now you're leader of your party but without ministerial responsibility. Which is the tougher job? <laughs> uh, I think obviously in opposition um, because uh, you've, got to, you've got to try and convince someone that holds the, the pen uh, of of the necessity of what you're you're trying to prosecute and and because we have that purity of purpose of just regional rural Australia the, the really hard thing is and it's not because uh, Labor members are bad people it's just because they don't understand what happens in regional Australia they're making policy decisions from, from the comfort of a capital city and it's it's difficult to try to get them to appreciate and understand the uniqueness of regional Australia and that the solutions that government should provide shouldn't be uh, broad. Or macro, they need to be uh, they need to be tailored to to regional areas, and and that's the difficult thing, um, and that was that was a difficult thing sometimes inside the coalition, uh, with with liberal colleagues, and we get that, but the fight continues, and while you got that fire in the belly, then you never give up. You in Western Queensland you do one or two things: you get in the fetal position and give up, or you come out swinging, and that's what we're going to do as the Nationals, whether we're in opposition or we're in government. David Littleproud, thank you for talking with us today. And that's all for our Conversations Politics podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back again with another interview soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevier. 
You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.